0: Open your Bibles to First Peter, Chapter Five. First Peter, Chapter Five. One day there was a young man who was on his father's farm and he was out there in the field, and all of a sudden, the sky had this weird aura around him. As The sky was orange, and he looked up in the sky, and he felt like there's something happening. And he looked up, and he saw in the clouds, the clouds spelled G-P-C. And he scratched his head and thought, that must be a sign from God. G-P-C, what could that stand for? And he thought, oh, it means go preach Christ. Of certainly, that's what it means. So he ran, went and ran and told his mama and said, mama, mama. You know, that's what they do in the South. Even if you're in your twenties, you say mama, mama. He said, mama, mama, look, I saw this in the clouds. And it said, go preach Christ, GPC. I think, I think I should be a pastor. And his mama was really happy because she'd always hoped he'd be a pastor. So she ran to the chairman and sat down with the chairman and said, listen, this is what I saw in the clouds. It said, GPC, my son, my son should be a pastor. And so they brought him before the church to, to have him be voted on. Before he did, he got up to preach, and the chairman got up and said, listen, this, this young man was in the field, and he saw all these clouds, and said, GPC, go preach Christ, and so he's going to come up here. He's going to preach Christ for us. So this young man gets up, and he preaches the worst sermon this country church has ever heard, and that's saying something for a country church, okay? And so he went and sat down, and the chairman came up to uh, have a vote on him to be a pastor at the church. And he looked out and he said, you know, young man, it seems to me that you might have interpreted that acronym wrong. GPC doesn't mean go preach Christ. I think for you it meant go plant corn. (laughs) There are a lot of pastors who are in pastoral ministry for reasons that are about as crazy as that right there. And unfortunately, many people go into pastoral ministry because their mama wants them to, or that's what my daddy did, or because they don't know what else to do. It's like, that's the next one on the list. Let's just try that one. Sometimes people even have the mindset that if I go to be a pastor, maybe I won't struggle with sin like other people do, which is completely false. Those are horrible and wrong reasons to be a pastor. And in our text this morning, we're studying about elders or What we call typically in our church, uh, um, in our day, pastors. Same office. Elders, pastors, overseers. And we're studying about this high calling. I believe the calling of an elder, of a pastor, that the Bible teaches. This is a high calling. Really, I believe the highest calling. You are overseeing souls. People who are eternal beings. You are preaching In the place of God himself. You're preaching the word of God. And you're to live as an example of Christ. 1 Timothy 3 reads this. If anyone desires the office of overseer or pastor or elder. He desires an honorable position. And so I actually pray that through this sermon. That maybe there's a, a gentleman listening online or in here. And you will be stirred in your heart. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. You'll be stirred in your heart to consider pastoral ministry. But first, I want you to consider the right reasons. Consider pastoral ministry for the right reasons and consider the the serious weight of what it means to be a pastor, to be an elder. We're in a series on humility within the church. and Last week, we looked at verse one, 1 Peter 5, verse one, where Peter was a model of humility for these elders. And we saw his role as an elder. We saw... How he really learned, he studied the, um, the, studied in the school of humility in Christ's sufferings, as he witnessed Christ's sufferings. And then we saw how he was expecting to partake of the future glory of Christ. Really in this text, verses 1 through 7, you see this biblical pattern of life where God has an appointed role for you. You are to approach that role with an attitude of humility. And those who are faithful within that role with humility can expect future glory. You see that in verse 1, then we see that with the elders, and then we're going to see it later on with the church. So today we're speaking of the role of the elders, the attitude of humility they are to have, and their hope for the reward of future glory. So this is verses 2 and 4. And actually, it's going to take me a little bit more than one week to do this, so we'll do this for the next two weeks on the role of the elders, and then we'll get to the church, verses 5 through 7. And here's the outline here that we're going to have for the next two weeks. That as elders, they are to feed and lead with humility. And that means that the elders have a role and they have an attitude. They are to have in that role of humility and the expectation for the reward of future glory. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Again, notice this pattern, role, the attitude of humility, and then also the expectation of glory. First Peter 5 1 says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let's pray. This is your word. Father, we believe that your word is powerful and you can use it to change lives. So change our hearts this morning. Change this church. Lord, use it to draw those who are away from you back to yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the churches that Peter was writing to here were suffering. What does a church need in the midst of suffering? And I believe this text is telling us that the church needs elders who will step up and shepherd the flock of God. Look at verse 1. He says, so I exhort the elders among you. Now, as I said last week, that word so is very important. It's a very important transitional word that connects the suffering of the church in verse 19 of chapter 4 to the elders' need to lead the church in verses 1 through 4. I believe now more than ever that this is the time where we need pastors, we need elders, we need men in America to step up in the pulpits of the churches in person and lead congregations. We need men who have faith, We need men who have courage. We have churches. Really, we have a nation that's paralyzed by fear right now. We have people who are afraid. We have churches who are shut down. And people who are suffering. And I believe the suffering in our country is not going to get better as people continue to turn away from the Lord and as the wickedness of man's heart becomes more evil and worse every day, that suffering against Christ's people in Christ's church will get worse. So now is the time, I believe, for pastors, for elders to step up with courage and lead the church. And I think that's, that's what he's saying here. He's saying in verse 1, he says, so listen, I'm exhorting the elders among you. And then look at verse 2, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So, verses one and two, I think Peter's reminding the elders of, of the role that, that they have, that God has appointed them to within the church. And what is that role? What is, what is the responsibility of an elder? What, what does God expect of them? What should they do? Well, let me state this clearly that the elder's role, role is not defined by a denomination, it's not defined by a convention. It's not defined by culture or even the church's expectations. You know, my pastor growing up, this is what he used to do. It's defined by what? By the word of God. In some churches, in some denominations, you have this, you know, synod or you have these conventions that oversee these churches. Usually they own the property. They appoint the pastors. They, they do everything for the church, you know. They have this hierarchy where there's this, you know, you have a bishop and then you have under him a presbyter or a rector. And and in some churches, mostly Baptist churches, you have, sometimes you have this uh, position of pastors, which is biblical, and you have a position of deacons, which is biblical. Then you have this like group of trustees, like where did that come from? All of those are are forms of church government that are man-made. You won't find that hierarchy and those structures in the Bible. Our church believes that we are to be guided, particularly in our church government, by the word of God. And the Bible is clear. There are two offices within a church, elder and deacon. Elder, pastor, overseer, same office, and deacon. So today we're talking about an elder. So what does the Bible say is the role of the elder? So he says in verse, look it down in verse number one. I, say, I think, see, uh, sorry, I say, yeah, sorry about that. Got tripped over my words. Here we see three main descriptive words, words for the office of elder. Look at verse one. So I exhort the elders. So that's the first word that we see here. An elder describes a man of maturity, a man of maturity. So there should be this group of mature men within the church, spiritually mature men. The second word that describes the office of elder is found in verse two. He says, shepherd the flock of God. The word shepherd is the word that we typically say as pastor, it's the more common word we use today is pastor. I'm typically called Pastor Ben or Pastor Ice or Pastor Roger. And so that's, that's the word for shepherd. Uh, last year I had someone tell me a story of, of a pastor that was being introduced in a setting where the person didn't speak English. And so you had the translator, you had the pastor, and then you had the, per, the foreigner there. And so they were trying to introduce the pastor to this foreigner. And so they said, you know, this is pastor so-and-so. And, and when they translated it, they translated it as shepherd. And so that person was very confused. Why are you introducing me to a shepherd that's in a suit and tie? You know, <laughs> that didn't make any sense to them. And so, but that, that's what a pastor is. He's a shepherd of souls. He's a shepherd of souls. So that describes what an elder does. And So the elders are commanded here in verse 2 to shepherd the flock of God or God's people. And the verb shepherd is really the only imperative verb that you find here in this text to instruct the elders. It's the only command to the elders here. And therefore, I think this puts forth shepherding as the primary responsibility for every elder. That is to say, the role of the elder is this. He is to shepherd God's flock. He is to shepherd souls. So what does that mean? Like, what does that look like? Well, in our text, I think we're going to see Two main ways this is lived out in an elder's life, and a pastor's life. And first, elders are to shepherd by exercising oversight. And so look down in verse number two. The the Bible says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And he says, exercising oversight. So this is a participle that explains what shepherding looks like. look, Look down in verse three. We're going to see here that elders are to shepherd by being examples to the flock. He says, the end of verse 3, but being examples to the flock. Again, this is another participle that describes what it looks like to be a shepherd or to be shepherding someone. So exercising oversight, being examples define what it means to be a shepherd. And if you look in between there, the adverbs, not under compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Those modify the attitude or how you're supposed to carry that shepherding out. We're going to look at that more next week, so I'm not going to focus on that this week. But let me sum up here I have on the screen what it looks like for an elder to shepherd. It means that he feeds with the word and he leads with his life. An elder is one who shepherds with oversight, that primarily think that means that he's feeding people with the word of God. And there's a lot that's under that. We're going to talk about that this morning. But an elder also is one who is the shepherd with example. This looks like him living a life before his people that lives the word of God. So in this text, we're going to see those two main ways. Feeds with the word and leads with his life. So let's look at the first one. What does shepherd with oversight, what does it look like to do that? Well, I think he gives a great picture here of what the New Testament and the Old Testament actually gives a picture of, and that is a shepherd with his sheep. But I thought this morning, I thought, how could I help you to understand this? How could I explain this to you? And I thought, I'll tell you a little story. Everyone likes stories, right? Jesus told a lot of stories. We're going to tell a story about Lammy. This is Lammy right here. Lammy decided that he wanted to do what he wanted to do. Lammy went his own way out into the wilderness. He decided that he was going to find his own food. He was going to find his own water. He was going to do what he wanted to do. He was going to live on his own and for himself. He didn't think he needed his sheepy friends anymore and definitely didn't want that overbearing shepherd. And so he was fine on his own. But as the days passed, he began to realize that he was in danger. He was lost. He didn't know where he was. He couldn't find anything to eat. He was thirsty. In fact, at night, he would hear wolves howling in the distance, and he realized they might be coming after him. He was starving. He was being hunted. His wool was growing, and so it was growing heavier and heavier, and he couldn't shear it himself. Bugs were attached to him. He couldn't pick them off because sheep can't really reach back there with their mouths. He was starving, and he was miserable. But one day, in the midst of his fear, he heard the voice of the shepherd. And the shepherd called his name, sheepy, sheepy, come here. Well, and the sheepy he heard that. He wanted to cry out, but something in his heart told him, oh, you're going to have to admit that you were wrong. You can't do it on your own. Maybe you shouldn't. So he had this inner wrestling in his heart. He, he had so much pride in his heart. He thought, I don't want to cry out and admit that I was wrong. I was going the wrong way. But he realized how lost he really was, and he was doomed. So he cried out back to the shepherd, bah, Being translated, save me, shepherd. (laughs) If you don't know sheep, I just translated it for you there. And the shepherd did save him. He came and picked him up, held him in his arms, took him back to the sheepfold. He sheared him. He tended to his wounds. And he promised to care for him and give him water and give him food and care for him all the days of his life. The next day, sheepy was Safe in the care of the shepherd, and the shepherd knelt down and talked to him. And he said, Sheepy, I'm going away for a while, and I have left you in the care of my under-shepherds. All of my sheep have under-shepherds that I have appointed to care for my beloved sheep. And here are your under-shepherds. Trust them, follow them, they will feed you, protect you, and care for you, and soon I'll be back. And that that story is really a compilation of a number of different parables and stories that we see in the Old Testament and New Testament. But that's who we are. We are the sheep. We are the sheep. Christ is the chief shepherd who who has saved us with giving his own life. And and then he has appointed elders within the local church to serve as under-shepherds to care for the sheep. Isaiah 53 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. In other words, we're all going our, all, our own way. We are all like those sheep who think we can live life without the shepherd. We all think we can, we can live life without God. I don't need God. I'm fine on my own. Our hearts are filled with pride. And we reject him and we think that we can live our life for ourselves, and that's okay. We're like those sheep. And like those sheep, we're doomed in our own sin. Sheep are like walking lamb chops to wolves. Sheep don't have a sense of direction. They, they actually are unique in that they can't smell out their own food. They can't smell out water or, or grass somewhere. They, they're prone to accidents. Like I said in my story, they can't reach around the backside and get off bugs and things like that. So they can get infections and they can't shear themselves. Really, there is no hope for a shepherd to survive without or for a sheep to survive without the shepherd. Sheep have to have a shepherd in order to live. And this is God's view of us. We cannot live without God. We cannot live without God. We have to have a shepherd of our souls. And that's why Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, and he what? He restores my soul. He shepherds my soul. Every person needs a shepherd, and every person Every sheep needs a shepherd and every person needs God. What's interesting is the Old Testament promised that God would send a shepherd and it would be himself. Ezekiel 34, 23 says, Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, that's the Messiah, and he will feed them and he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And this is the promise that the Father would send Jesus Christ to be the good shepherd. And here we see in the gospels, Jesus announces, I am that good shepherd that was promised. I'm the good shepherd. And what am I here to do? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And Jesus Christ was the good shepherd who came into this world to seek and to save lost souls. And like that shepherd, my story, he's calling out to you, come to me, Come to me, all who are heavy and burdened by their sins. And what? I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. And like that sheep in that story, he, asks, he calls us to call out to him. He invites us to humble ourselves before him, admit our sin, and call on him. The Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord, everyone says, I can't do this. I'm a sinner before you, Lord. I'm doomed without you. And they call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In fact, go back to 1 Peter chapter two. Look at this. Very interesting to see Peter use this analogy even in his epistle, 1 Peter two, the last verse says, for you, speaking to the church, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He's saying, church, you were straying once. The whole world is straying away from God. You were straying once, but what happened? What was the difference? You turned back to the shepherd, the overseer of your soul. And friend, I'm afraid there's many people in this room or many people in this world and maybe some in this room who have continued to stray away from the Lord. And Christ is calling you to trust in him. Maybe there's a a boy or a girl or a teenager in this room and you've just been living your life for yourself this entire week. You don't really think about God very much. And if you do, it's just about maybe the dread of coming on Sunday to church. (laughs) And you just, you did whatever you wanted to do this week, whatever your mind thought, you thought. If you didn't want to obey your parents, you didn't obey your parents, or you did it because you had to. You didn't live under the care of your shepherd. You might be an adult this week, and you're doing your taxes, and you decided that you're going to fudge them a little bit. You're going to cheat on them a little bit. You're not going to live under the rule of a shepherd, of God. Maybe you just lived your life however you wanted to this week. You went to the computer and you viewed whatever you wanted to view to fulfill your own desires because you're your own shepherd. You can take care of yourself, right? No. And the point is all of us need to turn to Christ to be saved. So this Old Testament and the New Testament give this picture of God as this chief shepherd who, who can save us and save our souls, but also gives this picture of the need for us to submit to our under-shepherds. In fact, look at this text right here. Well, that's the one I just read over there. Look at the, listen to, uh, I'm sorry, go down to 1 Peter chapter 5. I don't have it up here. 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verse 4. You see the same idea in 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, so there's Jesus as the chief shepherd. When he appears, that's in his second coming, you, the elders, will receive the un fading crown of glory. So, so the picture here is that Jesus is the, is the chief shepherd. He is appointed under shepherds to oversee his flock and they are accountable to the chief shepherd. If I go back to verse two and notice in verse two, he says, shepherd, elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So the, the flock of God means this, this is God's flock. Sometimes we can think of the church as this is, this is the pastor's church. Well, that's not true. This isn't Pastor Ben's church. This isn't Pastor Roger's church. Frankly, this isn't even your church. This is God's church. This is God's flock. And it's important that we look at it that way. And then also notice in verse 1, he says, So I exhort the elders among you. So there are elders among the church. Verse 2, shepherd the flock that is among you. So the church is among the elders. So the elders in the local congregation have some type of relationship that they are among each other. Can I say this pretty much cancels out any idea of church being on TV or church being from a long distance. You know, sometimes people have this mindset that, you know, I'm going to go to my favorite pastor. He's like super famous. You know, he's been a pastor for many, many years. Wink, wink. Anyways, so I'm going to drive 100 miles past, you know, 100 different gospel preaching, Bible teaching churches because I want to be in that guy's church. But I guess the question I have is how do you have elders among you How do you have you among the elders, how do you have that on TV? Is that that even biblical? Or how do you have that if you don't even live near your church? You have to drive hours or a long distance just to go to your church. How can pastors shepherd by preaching the word and living the word if you don't even know your pastors, if you don't even know your elders? So I think for an elder in a congregation to live this out, I think your church must be local and in person. I think it's what the Bible teaches. I don't think in, among you is distance, is it? Okay. That's, that's a word we probably need to hear in America. And so among you isn't just that you are hanging around each other, though. It's not like, it's not just where, hey, we're neighbors or we live down the street. It's not just that we live in the same city. It's actually also speaking of some kind of authority structure where the flock are under the charge of the under shepherds. In fact, look down in verse number three. He, the verse three reads, not domineering over those in your charge, but by being examples to the flock. So the elders are not to be dictators to those in your charge. That word charge is a very interesting one. It's a word that's used to portion something else, something out. When I was growing up, my mom used to, on Saturdays or other times, she would portion out to us different things we we're supposed to clean. So I would have the living room and I'd four brothers and sisters so someone else would have the kitchen and someone else would have the bathrooms of course you know in the bathrooms you one of my siblings told me once don't do a very good job with that because mommy won't have you do it again so anyways but you were responsible you were portioned that responsibility and you were accountable and if you didn't clean it well mama came but if you really didn't clean it well later on daddy came so but we had you had a portion you had you had a responsibility and so that's what we see here, that the elders have a portion, the, the flock has been portioned out, and they have a charge, they have a, an accountability to Christ in regard to certain people, to people that they're overseeing. So what is that oversight? What does that charge, what does that portion look like? Well, there's a lot that could be said here. But I think fundamentally it basically means that those shepherds are in charge of the health of those sheep. You know, you think about a normal shepherd, I mean, what's his job? Keep them alive and keep them healthy, right? I mean, it's, it's not about making them look pretty, right? It's like, oh, look at, look at your sheep and look at your pen. It's such a pretty place, you know. It's got flashy this and flashy that and half your sheep are laying dead. Well, you failed as a shepherd because that happened, right? It's actually about keeping them alive. And the same thing is true with the shepherds of a church like this. It's, it's actually about helping people be healthy and have spiritually Uh, vital, vital relationships and vital relationship with the Lord. It's keeping them spiritually healthy and spiritually alive. And so I think you see here is the primary way a shepherd is to oversee is he is to keep them alive, which fundamentally that means that you feed them with the word of God. That's why I say here that shepherds with oversight means they feed with the word. And again, there's a lot that kind of surrounds that kind of thing right there, but I believe this is the primary responsibility of what it means to be a shepherd. In fact, did you know in the Old Testament scripture, there was a prophecy about elders, about pastors. The Bible says, I God speaking, will also raise up shepherds, it's plural, over them and they will tend them. I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So notice the job of shepherds there is to feed with what? With the knowledge of God. And this is a prophecy that God would have these elders, these shepherds who would come and they would serve as his representatives to feed people with the knowledge of God. And therefore, I think this is the key responsibility of what it means to shepherd with oversight is that you feed them with the word of God. John six thirty five. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. It is the role of the pastor to deliver up Christ and the word of God each Sunday. Sometimes people view pastors as, you know, they organize programs or, you know, they, they preach and they, they marry and they bury. And, and that's, just, that's just all they do right there. They don't, or I, I, they do preach. I, I shouldn't have said that one. But they, all they do is they just do these things up front and they do nothing the rest of the week. But actually what a pastor's role is to get up and to make sure he can deliver the words of Christ. This is why I believe so strongly in expositional preaching. Because if you have to feed off of my ideas and my creativity, creativity, you're going to wither and you're going to die. There's a lot of modern pastors that get a little stool. They sit on it, you know, and they have a little table there. They give a couple words. You know, like, it's like a great TED talk, you know, religious TED talk. And you know they have this, the screen up there, and they pop a couple of verses and say a couple stories, and it's kind of like it's kind of like with a shepherd taking some pieces, blades of gla- grass, and kind of throwing it out there. Might be some weeds in it too, but hope you enjoy it. But that's not the role of the elders to do that, to preach in that way. There's a church in South Carolina that I knew, and they always had the most creative sermon series. One was called "Saved by the Bell." based on the 1990s 1990s TV series, you know what that is? A lot of the young people in here are like, never heard of it before. Okay, probably not a great show to watch, but, you know, taglines like, Saved by the Bell from Hell. It seems creative, but it's just a bunch of fluff. There's not much in there for your soul. And so the reason I don't subscribe to that is that I can't come up with creative things enough to be able to feed your soul, and frankly, because my words can't feed your soul. Spiritual life comes from the word of God. So the primary care of the shepherd is to feed the flock with the word. And what I want to do, just for a moment, is I want to convince you of this. That the, the main responsibility for a shepherd is to feed the flock with the preaching of God's word. Colossians 1.25, Paul was in pastoral ministry in Colossae, and he said, when I... Became a minister, or I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To what? What was he doing there? He was to make known the Word of God, the Word of God fully known. So, what was Paul's primary concern as a minister? It was to make the Word of God fully known to them. Then Paul wrote to a young pastor in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And he instructed him on his primary responsibility to feed the flock. And he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, preach the word. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, the qualification for a pastor that's really in a distinction from that of a deacon is that the elder, the overseer, he must be able to teach. He must be Apt to teach. In Ephesians, Paul wrote that God gave gifts to the church. You have apostles, you have prophets, those are gifts of the past that benefit us today. But in the present, we have the evangelists and you have the shepherd teachers. And there's the idea of a shepherd, a pastor teacher. He he shepherds the church by teaching the word of God. So the elders are to have this function as, as under shepherds who have spiritual authority over the church, given to them by God. And there's, there's many things under that. They're to, to protect the flock from false teachers and harmful teachings. They're, they're to give direction to the church. They're to have oversight of church decisions. They're to care for each soul. But that's really done under this idea of preaching the word, of shepherding by ministering the word to God's people. And What does this mean? This means, therefore, that the church, Lighthouse the elders, all of us, we must value what we're doing right here. We must value the preaching of the word. We should have personal Bible studies, and I hope this year that we can soon start those up. But those cannot replace the preaching of God's word. A Puritan named Thomas Cartwright said this, As the fire stirreth, gives more heat... So the word as it is blown on by preaching flames more in the hearers than when it's read. In other words, we have a little fire pit in our backyard and you can get a match and light it and, and you can you know, have some logs and you can have a little bit of fire there and that's, that's good. That's like reading the Bible. You, sh- you should have the, the flame of, the, of reading God's word and start a kindle of fire each morning and do that. But he's saying pr- preaching is kind of like getting lighter fluid and pouring it on there. Like it lights it up. In other words, preaching the word of God, Holy Spirit-empowered, expositional preaching can light up your heart like nothing else. You realize as you look through church history, the times when, when God had given countries and regions spiritual awakening, that it started with the preaching of God's word. Dr. Lawson said this, you can go century by century Epic by epic, era by era. And those mountain peak times of Reformation, Puritan Age, the Great Awakening, Evangelical Awakenings, it has all been launched by God unleashing a new generation of red-hot Bible preachers. There is no exception. It has been by the preaching of the Word of God that God has ushered in His greatest seasons in church history. I am praying... And I know many of you are praying that God would unleash that type of awakening in our city here, in our state here. I mean, if any state in our union needs to wake up to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's this state. How is that going to happen, church? Well, we definitely should be praying. And that's connected very close to this. But also, there should be preaching. There should be preaching. And how, how can people hear the gospel without preaching? And you say, well, we can go out and tell people. Absolutely. And that definitely is a part of that. And that definitely includes preaching. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. But wait, how then will they call on him and whom they have not believed? And how are they to hear or how are they to believe in him and whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone who is preaching? What's the conclusion? We need preaching is the conclusion. Preaching is vitally important to the spiritual awakening of souls. Central to shepherding this church and evangelizing this town is to have good preaching in the pulpits. Each week, I pray for those who are in the membership role of our church. And one of the things I'm praying for is I'm praying for you as you come to this time and you listen to the preaching of God's word. Can I be frank, not because I think I'm a great preacher, because I know I'm not but because I think the word of God is powerful. It can work in your heart. And my soul is thrilled when I hear how God's word has worked in your heart. Some of you out there are taking notes right now. Don't feel guilty if you're not, but some of you are taking notes. And I've talked to some of you, and it's like you take notes, and it's like going to the buffet, and you stack your plate full of food, and then you go back to the table and you put it in a doggy bag so you can take it home. That's like taking notes is like, I want to take some of this home and, and think about this. And some of you do that because you want to think about that throughout the week. There are a few in here who have told me that they have listened to my sermon on Sunday, and then they'll listen at it at some point during the middle of the week because they don't want to miss any part of the sermon that can be helpful to them. I've had some dads in here have told me that after I preach, they go home for lunch, and then they'll sit around the table and they'll discuss how they can apply the sermon in their life. I'm thankful we, our our group we're praying for today is the AV group back, back there. I'm thankful for those guys there's a lot of work that, t- that takes place to do that back there. you got to come here early. you got to set everything up. Sometimes during the middle of the week, you got to fix things. These guys, you don't realize it, but they stay late, and they put the sermons up online, and they put the sermons up on social media, and they make sure all that's done. All, both of them back right now, they both have Bibles. They're out. They're, they're serious about what they're doing. That's a, a super vital part of our church right now, just actually, frankly, I think as important as I, what I'm doing up here because if you can't hear me and Those at home or those out there can't hear me, then what's the whole point of what I'm doing, right? And I'm thankful for that right there. And those guys have a heart to have the preaching of the word of God be declared. I think what what saddens me as a pastor, and I know as elders, probably more than anything else, is when you hear that of people who don't care about the preaching of God's word. Whether they they, they scroll on their phones the entire service, or those who seem to never make it to the service, Those who stay up late, come in late, and then sleep the rest of the way through. Sorry to those of you who are sleeping right now. (laughs) Wives, you might want to nudge them. Anyways. And I think we need to ask ourselves the question, how serious am I about the preaching of God's word? And what we need at our church, and this is what I believe God's word teaches, what we need at our church, what we need in America, is we need more in-person preaching. Okay, We need more in-person preaching, not less. There's a trend in our city and in our state, in our country, frankly, of having these home churches. You sit at home, invite a couple friends, someone reads the Bible, and you pray, and maybe you pipe someone in or whatever, and, and you have this kind of home church. Can I say that I believe, according to what we're talking about here today, that is not church. That's not church. Having a Bible study, piping someone in, Poof, it's not real church. And I've heard people say, well, that's, that's the church I think of the future. In fact, there's some churches, frankly, that have said, that's the church we think of the future. What? Bible studies are good, videos are not bad, and you should probably listen to sermons throughout your entire week. I encourage you to do that. But that is not church to have some kind of little group that meets and talks about the Bible and, and prays a little bit and then goes home. And it's not a replacement for church. It's fine if you want to do that outside of church, but it's not what we're doing in regard to church at Lighthouse. I was talking to a person this uh, this past, or not this past week, but a couple of weeks ago in town. They go to one of those churches and, you know, for the past 10, 11 months, they, they have felt spiritually dry. They're like, I feel so spiritually dry. You know, I go to this group at home and I do this kind of thing, but I, something's wrong, something's empty. I don't feel right about something. And I asked them, I said, I said, think about the times when God has done something significant in your life. God has worked in some way in your life. And I'm going to guess that many of those times it was under the preaching of God's word, wasn't it? He said, yeah, it actually was. And I said, do you know what you need, sir? You need to be under the preaching of God's word. That's actually one of the commands that God has for us as a church is to preach the word. And you might say, well, that's not been the case for me. I've not had that kind of stirring. Well, either... You haven't submitted your heart to the word of God or you haven't been under consistent Holy Spirit empowered word filled preaching. So shepherding with oversight means we're feeding the flock with the preaching of God's word. It's so important for us to be under the preaching of God's word, but also it means it means following up. It means the elders are following up on those souls and helping them further grow in Christ It means we're following up on those souls and further Helping them grow in Christ. This is probably, I think, the point that many people miss in the church, especially the church in America. It's an aspect I think people don't really grasp, I guess, about what pastoral ministry. Again, some people think it's just coming up and giving a little TED Talk. Or um, I heard one person say a pastor marries, buries, and gives boring oratories. So uh, if you've read Huckleberry Finn... Huckleberry Finn was asked, what do pastors do? He said, oh, nothing much. Low around, pass the plate, one thing or another. But mainly, they do nothing. And, so, and so, so he was asked, well, what are they good for? Well, they're there just for style. I don't think I'm here for style. No one's going to pick me out of a lineup to style anything. That's for certain. So what is what is it? What's the point of being a pastor? Beyond just preaching the word up here, What what is the point? Well, we're to minister to souls. In fact, I want to just think through this as we conclude here. Here we go. I'm skipping some of these things I should go on to. I want to think about this verse as we conclude. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. The leaders in this text are the elders of the church. So this Text is teaching us the elders are accountable to watch for your souls. Now, the two words that scare everyone in here are what two words? Obey and submit. <gasps> what? what is this verse teaching here? Well, what is the obedience in regard to? It's in regard, in regard to preaching the Word of God. It's in regard to obeying the Word of God. I should say it that way. In other words, it's not about the pastors preaching their opinions or Saying what they think, and you guys now also must submit to that. And sometimes people come to you as a pastor and be like, "What do you think about this, this, and this?" You know, and they're not things related to the Word of God, or even sometimes they're just applications of God' word, God's word, and that's not a bad thing. But they want to, me to speak, you know, definitively on this. Thus saith the Lord about this thing that's actually not in the Word. It's like ah. Uh, you know, don't look for your pastors to give their opinions and therefore you follow their opinions. Look for them to give the word of God and you follow and obey the word of God. So that's what it's talking about here. I don't want to really focus on that except for it to say this. The oversight means that they are to keep watch, which is, that's an interesting Greek word. It's actually a compound word of two words and that is without sleep. Some moms in here, maybe you have gone through that where you've kept watch over your kids. But the idea is, is that you love someone so much that you're willing to stay up and go without sleep because you want to care for them. That's really a description of the elders. And what are they keeping watch over? Keeping watch over your souls as those who must give an account. This this verse right here should scare the EBGBs out of every elder in America because you're not answering to your church. You're answering to God. It's Being a pastor is not about getting your own DVD series or doing your own book or getting your name plopped up somewhere. It's about standing before Christ and saying, I faithfully fed and ministered to these souls. So this should scare the lazy or pride-filled elders, but really should bring joy to those elders who are faithful. And I didn't say perfect. (laughs) I said faithful. For moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And that's what the Lord requires. So who are those people that we are to be accountable to? We have a group of people in here. Some maybe are watching online. Well, right here, I printed off all the people that I think I'm accountable to. Or I should say accountable for, not to. Accountable for. Who are the people that we are to oversee and to answer to? Well, I believe it's the members of the church and this is another reason why I strongly believe in church membership because because those people who are on this list those who are church members have committed themselves to Christ to each other but also to the elders to have spiritual oversight how do you do that if you don't have a list of someone somewhere there's a lot of people in here that I don't know you or some some that I'm friends with you or whatever but you're not members of our church let me just say I love you and I'll care for you if you want some counseling I'll give it to you But I don't believe I'm going to answer for your soul. But I do believe on this list, I do believe us as elders will actually stand before Christ. I don't know if he's going to go through each name, but he's going to ask us about each of these souls. I believe I'm accountable for them. If I was a CEO of a company and I had to let someone off or someone in my company got hurt, I would feel bad. But, candidly, companies come, companies go, they're of this earth, and they're important, don't get me wrong but CEOs don't give an account for the souls of their employees. There's a greater weight of responsibility for an elder than, frankly, any person in this planet, even the President of the United States. He doesn't give an account for the souls of people in this country, but elders do. So elders must seriously consider this. They must seriously consider how they're caring for the flock corporately, but also individually. I think of it like this. Public preaching is leading the flock to the green pastures of God's word. So this morning I'm like, hey guys, let's all go eat over here in and, and 1 Peter. And we'll get a couple snacks in other verses as well. Personal counseling is getting down with the sheep and helping them discer- discern a weed from a blade of grass. It's helping a confused sheep know where they are at and where they're to go. It's protecting the sheep sometimes from themselves, sometimes from other dangers like false teachers. So pastoral ministry isn't just public, it's actually personal, it's intimate, and many times it's messy. And again, let me just plug this one again, I don't think you can do that on TV. It's pretty easy to be clean in that regard on TV. Elders shepherd with oversight as they feed the flock, but also with the word of God, but also as they lead with their life. Now don't get concerned, this is not going to be as long as the first point, I'm going to wrap it up here. But look down in verse 3. He says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Domineering and being examples are two other participles, and I think the positive one is the one I want to focus on here this morning. I'll focus on the other one next week. But negatively, shepherds are not to be dictators, they're not to be lords, but they're to lead. So shepherds don't, you could say it this way, shepherds don't uh, dictate with a whip. Shepherds lead with their life. And this is a graphic that's sometimes used in businesses. I think it's a good one. I think actually God came up with the idea of this, and someone put it in a graphic. But the difference between a Lord and a leader, and I think this is a great picture of what the difference is between a pastor who is a dictator, a pastor who is a Lord, and a pastor who is a leader, a pastor who is a shepherd. And this can only be done as a leader. You can only do that with a heart of humility. So elders are overseers. Yes, they have authority and over the church and over the souls of each congregant. But the temptation as a pastor actually is a step in, and then therefore you act like a king or you act like a dictator, and you think you can just tell everyone what to do, and what your opinions are that should rule the day. But actually shepherds are leaders, and what do they lead with? They lead with their lives. And that's why I think it's so important that all of our elders and every elder in a church must have character that accords with 1 Timothy chapter 3 let me encourage you, this week, sometime, read those character qualities. Those qualities are not standards of perfection. They're they're qualities that are representative of a person who's following Jesus Christ. One time, time, a long time ago, I had someone said to me, well, those those qualities are are rules that pastors have to follow, but all of us can do something else. No, that's actually not the idea behind that. The qualifications of a pastor are character qualities that we should all aspire to. They're qualities of, of Christ. And again, it's not that. Elders are perfect. And sometimes people get surprised to hear that. <laughs> if you know me, you know that's not the case. If you know Pastor Roger, you know that's not the case. You know the elders, you know that's not the case. We're not perfect. Please don't expect us to be Jesus Christ. In fact, actually, I think it's even it's even deeper than that because it's actually about In our humility, in the fact that we recognize that we're falling, in the the fact that we recognize that we have faults, I think actually that's an example to follow. An example of how we deal with problems and how we deal with struggles that we have. We should be examples of spiritual growth. So I think that means that pastors, like everyone else, we should be living a life of repentance and faith. This past week, I said something to one of my children, and I had to go back and apologize to them. That's not not a sign of weakness. That's actually, I think, a good example to your children. And I don't know what it was about this week, but to a person in the church, I said something to them I shouldn't have said, and I went back and I had to apologize to them. Does that mean he should step down from being an elder? Maybe I should, but I don't think so. I think actually, hopefully, it's an example to show. And I don't do it for an example. I do it because it's the right thing to do. But that's the point. It's not a matter of perfection. It's a matter of living a life in obedience to Jesus Christ, and follow, we are to follow the elders as they are following Christ. And so let me conclude this with just three applications. Number one, our, our world is filled with lost sheep. Maybe you're a young man in here, and God has burdened your heart for these sheep. Let me encourage you to consider pastoral ministry. Consider going into the labor fields and serving Christ in this way. And I think all of us as a church should be praying for these kind of men. We actually have a couple guys in here who are training for ministry. We should be investing in them, praying for them, and praying God would send out more. Maybe you're in here, and you're actually one of those lost sheep. Christ is calling for you to come to him, and so I invite you to come today. I think this is an application for all of us elders. I think everyone's in here. I haven't really looked at everyone in here, but I'm pretty certain all five of us are in here. I know I'm in here. <laughs> See Pastor Roger and some other guys around here. I think this is a text that really has, God has pressed upon my heart that my number one concern in the church must be souls, the souls of people, programs, and buildings, and money matters. It does matter. We're to steward those things. But even those things are only to be done to enable true ministry, and that is ministry to the soul. And then last for the church here, I think we need to view our gathering as a time for us to feed on the word of God. And I think you should view your elders as men who want to minister to your souls. Sometimes people struggle in church. They maybe have marriages struggling. Maybe they have a personal addiction they're going through. Maybe they just are lonely. Maybe they are depressed, and they don't consider that this is the place to come to have your soul ministered to. So if you're in that situation, please, would you connect with us? We, we've called you. We've connected with you. But if you don't tell us this is what you're struggling with, we can't really help you. Okay? And so we want to do that. We want to be your shepherds and shepherd your soul. And so, and so we want to invite you to come and talk to us about that today. Most importantly... I want to point all of us to the shepherd, Jesus Christ. He is the one who restores the soul. All we do as shepherds is shepherd to say, hey, here's Christ. Here's his word. Here's his spirit. Here's his work. And he can work in you. Let's bow our heads before the Lord and pray. the Lord is working in your heart, let me invite you to respond to him. When we hear the word, it's important for us to respond to the word. So would you respond to Christ by calling out to him right now in prayer? Father, thank you so much for Christ, who is our shepherd. We were souls who were lost. And the truth is, we deserved we deserve the punishment for our sin. We still do. But because of your great love, because of the great love of sending Jesus as our shepherd to die in our place, we can be rescued, and we are rescued. And we know that is certain, that is our hope. And all of us still continue, though, to need this daily nourishment and this weekly nourishment from your word. So I pray for our church. May we love your word. May we love Christ in the word. And I pray, Lord, for someone. I I imagine when I speak, there's people who are wrestling with with their salvation. Maybe they're wrestling with a call. Of you calling them to come to faith in Christ. And Lord I pray they will humble themselves before you. This morning. And Lord there is a day. When it will be too late. And so I pray today will be the day of their salvation. And Lord may we have grace. To continue to be faithful to you. Give us. Give us grace. To confess our sins. To confess that we are. Have fallen short. And to receive the forgiveness that you offer. Give us grace to to trust you in your word and to keep following you and to keep being the church of Jesus Christ. I'm right now in my mind thinking of so many different people in our church who are struggling with different things and different sufferings in their life. And Lord, may we be the church and come alongside them and lift them up in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name.